Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Y'all are way more awake than that first service. I never get to tell them that they were more awake than you because I always forget by the next Sunday. But they are awake more than y'all sometimes. It's not always y'all's favor. Uh, this time of year, everybody does too much stuff outside, and then you decide to catch up on your sleep when you come to church. Well, that's not going to happen today. I'm just not going to let you do it. But uh, I got an email this week that was uh, very encouraging, and I want to read just a paragraph to you because I think it's relevant to the text and the topic that we're looking at today. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 20, verses 1 through 8. Here's what that paragraph said. It says, I wanted to personally thank you for waking up my spirit and making me want to go to church again. We've been attending NFCC for about two or three months or so and are thoroughly enjoying our experience. It is refreshing to hear the gospel again, a positive message with no political correctness, minutia that seemed to bog down where we were previously attending. My wife and I are both under the same thought process that we want to bring our kids up in a Christian environment and to be the best parents that we can be every day. It is so refreshing to go to church hear the gospel, and then learn applications of the word to our daily life. Uh, that's the end of the paragraph. So now I want, I want you to know I don't intend to bash any other church. I rarely will speak of another church because we're, we're all on the same team trying to seek Jesus, at least those who are trying to do that. And so uh, in this text, though, it mentions uh, some things about what, what the church is about and what we see the impact is happening on my friend's life here. And what, what this email is really about is about the power of the Word of God. And that's what we're going to look at today is the authority and the power of the Word of God. Really, what we, what we do each week, what this person is expressing that has happened in their life, it has nothing to do with me or Jared, or Kevin, or Jake, or anyone else, or the, any of the elders who speak, who, who have the opportunity to share. What, what, if anything good happens in here, it's because God has used his word to, to make an impact in your life. And that's what this person is saying. All these things that they are thankful for is, is because of God's word. God's word alone wakes up the spirit to use their language that thoroughly gives joy. Only God's word can do that. Only God's word can refresh the soul to help raise kids and to equip us for daily life. So all those things that this person said they are so thankful for, it's what the word of God is doing in their life. And, and th there's a, a limited amount of time. You don't know this, but I have a timer that's ticking down how much time I have. And so I have to decide what is the most valuable thing I can do for you. And let me tell you what it is. It's to explain and to expose the word of God. It's not going to be to tell another story. It's not, it may be entertaining. It may touch on politics if that's what the text leads me to do. It may touch on some, some things that we see in culture. But ultimately, what we need most is for God to speak to us. For God to, to say, here's what I'm going to talk to you about today. Not what I want to talk about, but what God's word says, where God through his word says, this is what I want to talk to you about. And I'm going to set this word over your life. And then you and I have to choose, do I accept that or, and submit to it or do I reject it? And that's where the power is. The power is in the authority of God's word. 
And that's the text, that's the subject of the text today. So let me read our text and, and let's get started. In Luke chapter 20, verse 1, Luke says this. He says, one day as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders came up and said to him, hey, tell us by what authority you do these things or who is it that gave you this authority? And he answered them, I also will ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And they discussed it with one another, saying, well, if we say from heaven, he'll say, well, then why don't you believe him? But if we say from man, all the people are going to stone us to death, for they're convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered and said they, they don't know where he came from. And Jesus said to them, well, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Lord, I ask for your help this morning that the very nature of our text is that what we are here for today is to receive your authoritative word for our life. And we ask that you would humble our human hearts that tend to exalt and lift ourselves up over the word, but rather may we humble ourselves under your word for you are the great authority in our life. Teach us this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, in this passage, we see three scenes, and that's how we're going to break the text down. The first scene is in verse 1, gospel preached. The first scene we see is Jesus preaching the gospel. Verse 1, one day as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel. So remember what we looked at last week. Jared was working through the text where Jesus arrived in Jerusalem and his, it's his big moment, and he eventually works his way to the temple. And what does he do? He goes and he clears the temple. He cleans house, and he's reprioritizing. He's reestablishing what he thinks should be going on in church, in their temple. And what does he do? We see in this text today, he comes in, cleans house, starts anew from scratch, and sets up his pulpit and starts to teach. This tells us this is the priority of the church. This is what should be happening in here. That everything should be centered on the teaching of God's word. But I want to point out a little nuance here that's picked up when you're reading through like a, a paragraph, a book. Look at the end of the previous chapter, 19 verse 47, and read it right on into this chapter, 20 verse 1. And I hope you see this little phrase is going to pop out at you. And I think Luke is doing that on purpose. Let me go back and read it again. 1947, Luke says this, And he was teaching daily in the temple... And the chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do for all the people were hanging on his words. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes and elders came up to him and said these things. So, did you notice something pop out? Why did he repeat himself? He wanted to make a specific point. He ends the previous thought with, he was teaching in the temple, now he begins with, he was teaching in the temple, and preaching the gospel. The and preaching the gospel pops out. It's, it's intentional by Luke to say, this is the content of teaching in the temple. Jesus' teaching is all about the gospel. There's a lot there that he is teaching, 
the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God has arrived and he's teaching it to these religious rulers, these powerful authoritative men who were dominating the authority of the temple and he's teaching them about the gospel while they're trying to destroy him, while they're trying to do a lot of other things in the temple. Jesus is standing firm against the the massive flow of the currents of the culture of the religious authorities to do anything but teach the gospel. And he says, no, I am going to get rid of all that. I am here to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ that is an affront to every other authoritative claim on the planet that is counter to every other agenda of every other organization, of every human heart on the planet. And he knows it is inviting opposition to his life. But he stands strong and says, I am going to teach the Bible. I'm going to preach the gospel. And that is what we must always do when we gather together. What is the gospel? What is the, re- the relationship between teaching the Bible and preaching the gospel? In short, the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel in Greek, the word gospel translated means good news. And so it's the good news to sinners who are destined to be condemned for their sin. Where's the good news? The good news is that Jesus offers to take that punishment for the sinner. That's why he came. The sinless son of God came and died on the cross. It says that if you will trust in God's promise about this, that God says, I'll forgive you in Christ and I'll give you credit for Christ's Christ's perfections, for Christ's righteousness. That is really good news to someone who realizes they need salvation. And so Jesus says, this is the very content of his message. Now, what I want to explain, though, is when I grew up, I thought that that gospel message was for unbelievers, and that's it. You preach the gospel to those who don't know Christ yet, and they come to faith in Christ, and that's what the gospel is for, to save unbelievers. And then we put that aside, and then we spend the rest of our life earning closer relationship with Jesus by being really good people and obeying the word. And that's not how it works. We need to take that gospel back and put it right here and say, everything we do and think and breathe and swim in and think about and teach, every law, everything is only understood in the gospel. You see, the whole Bible is the gospel. I want to expand your mind and understand that from Genesis to Revelation is about the gospel, in a full comprehensive sense. In Genesis, we see a picture of the ideal, what the gospel restores us to. God in beautiful, reconciled relationship with sinless people, enjoying him fully, enjoying his glorious creation that he created for them. And they have one thing to do, just enjoy him in a trusting relationship that produces obedience. And as long as we are trusting and obeying him, we are enjoying his glory and his good gifts to us. But then that unraveled when sin entered the world and they decided to disobey God. 
against his warnings and they had to face the consequences. And then the Old Testament is the beginning of God interact, interceding and, and intervening to save humanity from their sinful decisions. And we see all the sacrificial system is image and image after image of a picture of what Jesus does for us. And the prophets warned that you must repent of your sins and put your faith in the Messiah, the one who will come. And so then Jesus, then the Old Testament ends with this longing of where's this Messiah? Where's this sinless sacrifice? Where's the promised one of God? Where, when will he arrive to save us from our sins, redeem us, restore us to his paradise and to his glory. And then Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John say, here he is, he's arrived. And every verse on the gospel of Luke we've been seeing has been showing you, he's the one, he's the one, he's the one. You can believe it, he's the one. And so when he died on the cross, he is the, the very fulfillment of the sacrificial system. He's the sinless lamb of God who died on the cross to take the penalty that you and I deserved for our sin. And he rose again. He is the very tabernacle God. He's the dwelling of God. He is God in flesh. And he rose from the grave. And then we see in the New Testament letters, the apostles are writing saying, here is what the church should be. When you believe in this gospel, when you put your faith in Christ, you become a community. You're called out of this world and to a community of faith. And here's how you live. Here's your values. Here's what you should be doing. This is who you are. This is why you're here. This is the very explanation of why you exist. All of that's in the gospel. And then Revelation says, and then he's coming back and he's going to finally restore paradise and you'll live with him eternally. Every day that Jesus got up in the temple, he said this, he explained this to them. He's teaching the gospel and it all centers on him. And so that's what we should be doing. As long as I have anything to say about it, that's what we will be doing and your current elders are in the same place, that that's what this is all about. Jesus, the gospel, and the word of God. Amen? Amen. And nothing else should compete with that. Now, anytime someone is bold enough to stand up on a stage, get behind a pulpit, and tell you how to live, how to spend your money, how to parent your children, how to use your time, energies, and resources to tell you very clearly that there is one way you're gonna be challenged. You're gonna face resistance. You're gonna be a dividing line in culture. There will be people who will challenge you when you stand with clarity and say, this is the truth. And that's exactly what we see happening in verse 2. The second scene is authority challenged. Verse 2, the religious authorities said to Jesus, Tell us by what authority you do these things. Or who is it that gave you this authority? Stop there. Think about it. Picture the scene. They're in their temple. They're doing church, to use our vernacular. They're doing their thing. You've got a religious authoritative 
power structure. There are leaders who are the authority of the day. There are people who've said, yes, we'll submit to these leaders as our authority. And they are doing all kinds of things that they thought should be going on in the temple. And Jesus walks in there and cleans house, sets up a pulpit, and starts to preach the gospel. Of course they're going to say, who do you think you are? And they should ask that. They should ask that. Anyone who stands up here and dares to proclaim to you truth, you should ask, now who do you think you are and by what authority do you have to stand there and tell me what to believe and how to live? If someone came in here and said, step aside, son, and started preaching, I'd be like, now wait a minute. Who are you? And what authority do you have to stand up in here and start to... And on a good day, it's the right questioning of authority. On a bad day, it's like, now wait a minute. You're trying to take my authority. And that mixed motives, that good and not so good, good motives and sinful motives are in this text. We know that because we see in just a minute how Jesus answers them. But this is the central question of the text. By what authority does Jesus teach and preach the gospel in the temple? What is the authority that Jesus has to preach the gospel in the temple? God's authority. The entire gospel of Luke, Luke has been presenting Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah. God's anointed in the birth narrative. He is presented before he's even born as the fulfillment of the Old Testament. He is the son of God to be born. In his baptism in, in Luke 3, 22, God from the heavens spoke, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And then Luke records his entire ministry, his life is a is evidence, it's a testimony to the truthfulness of the claim that he is the son of God, that his miracles, his power over death, over demons, he woke people from the dead, everything about his life, his authoritative teaching that was surpassed all other teachers demonstrated this man is true to his claims. This is the son of God. And that's the authority he has to go up into the temple and to preach the gospel. And that's what he does with his authority. He says, of all the things I could be about, of all the ills of society that Luke makes very clear, there are a lot of injustices, there's a lot of abuse, there's a lot of bad things going on in society, there's a lot of political things that he could be talking about, but what does he talk about? He talks about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to talk about. But we must ask the same question today. By what authority do I stand here? We get why Jesus stood there. But who do you, Tracy, think you are to stand there? Answer, God's authority. Now, wait a minute. You're no Jesus, Tracy. At that point in the message in the first service, I got a real loud amen. <laughs> I said, now, wait a minute. But it's true. So why, 
who dare, who am I dare, who do I dare to be to stand here and, and tell you anything? It's God's authority. Let me explain where that comes from. Because the central content of my message should always be God's word. And God's word, the Bible, is the authority of God. When God speaks, it carries the very authority of God. It's the the creator of the universe who spoke you into existence has the right to tell you and me how to live how to think, what our values should be, what our morals should be, what ethics should guide our decisions, what our priorities should be, how we should spend our money, our time, our energy, how to raise our kids. God has spoken. And if God has spoken, surely we should listen. So the only authority I have, the only authority anyone has to stand here is to the extent that we are taking the word of God, exposing it and explaining it faithfully so that what you can say is the same thing I can say. And I say it almost every week, man, God hammered me this week. I'm right there with you in submission to the word of God. The authority in this church is God's authority. How do you know the Bible is God's authority? Let me give you a little plug for the Word of God cohort. Take the Word of God cohort. I will invest in four people for eight weeks and do a deep dive with a stack of books about this thick of how do we really know that this is the Word of God and how do I use it to minister to others? But In a very concise summary, let me just tell you this. First of all, we know the Old Testament is the word of God for several reasons. First of all, vast majority of it begins with this phrase, thus says the Lord. And then the Lord says this. That came from edicts that kings would make. Kings who are the sovereign over their people who have the right to tell them, do this and do that. This is the way it's going to be in my kingdom. They would say, thus says the king. Here it is, thus says the Lord, Yahweh, the creator, the God of the universe, the king of all kings. So the vast majority of your Old Testament is an explicit claim to be the express, dictates, authoritative word of God. And then you go to the New Testament. In the New Testament, there's numerous scriptures that say that the Old Testament is the authoritative word of God. Just a couple, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture, and that word is a unique word that is referring to the sacred writings of the Old Testament scriptures. All scripture, the Old Testament scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness that the man of God and the woman of God may be complete, equipped, for every good work, like the email said. I'm being equipped to be a parent. That's what the word of God does. Second Peter 1.21, Peter says, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but they were men who spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The very spirit of God is breathing the word of God through these men who wrote these prophecies. As for the New Testament, how do we know the New Testament is the word of God? Well, Peter covers much 
of the New Testament when he says that Paul's writings are on par with the Old Testament scriptures. In 2 Peter 3.16, skipping down, it says, Peter says this about Paul's writings. It's always humorous. There are some things in Paul's writings that are very hard to understand, like Romans, which the ignorant and the unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. They do to Paul's writings just like they do all the other scriptures. He's putting them on par with the Old Testament scriptures. That's the vast majority of your New Testament was covered there. Then Paul says, Jesus, Jesus's words, make sure I got this twisted up in the early service. I won't do it again. Old Testament scriptures. And then Paul considers Jesus's words equivalent to Old Testament scriptures. So you got Paul's words are equivalent to Old Testament scriptures. Paul says Jesus's words are equivalent to Old Testament scriptures. That's almost your whole New Testament. And then in John 14 and 16, we get it all covered when Jesus says the Holy Spirit would empower the New Testament writers to remember all that Jesus said and to record it all in the scriptures for our benefit. And then you have the church, the community of people who were watching these events, scrutinizing everything that was said, making sure it was true like Luke's been doing for us, investigating it carefully, coming to the conclusion, these are the letters that are part of the word of God and I'll die for it. Because God has spoken and there is no higher authority to whom I will answer to. And they made sure that they kept that book sacred. They guarded it with their lives and they passed it on to their children and to their grandchildren and to their great-grandchildren. And it's changed the world forever. And I've got it in my iPad. And you've got it in your phone. You got three or four leather-bound copies spread throughout your house. God has spoken a word that you and I can access. And he was kind enough to make it in a language that we can understand. So I promise you one thing, there's no newspaper article that can compete with that. There's no blog posts. I've got seven minutes left. I'm not gonna talk about something else that's silly for seven minutes. It's gonna be the word of God. So the Bible is God's word. And that's why the church has always gathered was to hear and understand and obey what God has said to us. If he has spoken, surely we wanna know what he said. In Acts, the church gathered around God's word. We see the pattern established where the apostles went out and they proclaimed the gospel that we already reviewed that your sinners can be saved by faith in Jesus Christ. And then people were called out. God called people out to faith, to believe that message. That word called out is literally ecclesia. It means called out. That's what's translated church. Church, by definition, are the called out ones who gather in faith in Jesus to hear the word of God so that they can obey it. 
Then Paul gathered people together, baptized, gave them the Lord's Supper ordinance, appointed elders, gathered them around to teach the word of God, and then they met in small groups to say, now, what does this mean for our life? Let's encourage each other to live it out. That's what we're trying to do here. And Paul instructed Timothy, as, the, as it just gets passed down, this tradition of what we're supposed to be doing, Paul tells Timothy, here's what you need to do. Paul says this, and this is what was read to us earlier. I charge you, Paul says to Timothy, young man, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing and his kingdom, I charge you, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, take the word of God and reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Explain the word. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears and they'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Tell us what we want to hear. And they'll turn away from listening to the truth and they'll wander off into myths. But as for you, Timothy, as for my church, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering for the gospel. Do the work of evangelists. Fulfill your ministry. I don't care what they're gonna do to you. Fulfill your ministry. That's why you're here, Tracy. Do you feel that passion? Paul is saying, God has spoken. Come what may, bank your life on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't spend what precious time you have talking about this or that or tickling their ears. You're not there to scratch what itches. You're there to say what I said. So in this tradition, you have been called out by the gospel. God called you to faith in Christ. You have formed a church with baptism ordinance of the baptism and Lord's Supper. And you have said, these men will be our elders. We believe God has called them and equipped them to teach us the word of God and to shepherd us with the word of God. And you have said by signing of the church covenant, we want that. We value that and we will submit to the word of God that God speaks to us and we'll gather into small groups and encourage each other to continue in faithfulness. But let's be clear of one thing, the only authority, the ultimate authority, I should say, in this church is God and his word. And that is the measuring stick of everything that we say or do. Finally, in verses three through eight, we find a reminder, a warning, not to fall in love with whatever authority we have. With this interaction between Jesus and them, and they're asking him a test question, he throws it back on them, and they're like, no, no, no. He says, well, I'm not gonna tell you then. If you're not gonna tell me, I'm not gonna tell you. What's going on there? Well, they knew that if they said what they really believed, they were gonna lose their authority. In fact, they thought they were gonna lose their life 
but they're like, we're not going to let go of our authority. So Jesus says, well, I'm not going to tell you. It's a reminder to us that we aren't the authority. And this starts with me and the elders. We're not the ultimate authority. The only authority we have is as we are submitting to Christ and his authority. And our calling as shepherds is to help you do the same as we sinners do the same. That was God's idea. I don't get it. But God called sinners to call other sinners to join them in submitting to the authority of God. So it's going to be messy, right? But that's the only authority we have. But what it says to you, because I always like to share, this text is particularly for me, but I don't want to be greedy. I want to share all convictions with you whenever I get convicted. This has a word for you as well. What does this mean for you and for me and for all of us? This means we don't get to pick and choose what we obey in the scriptures. This means we don't get to define right and wrong. We don't get to flow with the current of current thinking. We don't get to redefine things. God has already spoken clearly, and where he speaks clearly, he has defined what is right and what is wrong. And we don't get to pick and choose. This also means that when we read the Bible, when you read the Bible, you aren't sitting in authority over that Bible deciding, eh, I don't like that part because it's going to require me to change. I'm not sure about that because I love my friend and that, that really convicts their way of thinking. We don't get that opportunity. You have one job. Submit. I have one job. Submit. But I have good news. There is no greater place to be. You need to look no further than the fact that this God who had all authority has been on mission to redeem and rescue us from our messes over and over. What did he do with his authority? He died. He took his own freedom and authority and laid it down in order to bless you. And that's what he does with his authority. He blesses you. He shows you the path of righteousness. He says, choose this path because it's the good path. So there's no place you'd rather be than in his authority. Father, we ask that you'll help us. Our hearts are constantly wanting to resist your authority. We want to be the final authority. We constantly want to think that we can define a better way or a different path. We, res- we have a culture that is a current that's a strong current that's pushing in a different direction and it's not always easy to stand firm against the current it's hard sometimes to believe that what we're saying is is good what the word of god says is good but lord help us to trust that you are good and we look no further than the gospel that you saved us from our sins and in that you purchased us to be your people. So Lord, I pray that that grace will give us the confidence to trust in you, to obey you, to submit to the authority you have in our lives.
And may we never drift from the word of God being central in our lives. It's in Christ's name we pray.